Good morning again, everyone. I hope everyone is well today. Um, I hope you had a good couple weeks um, just with family and soaking up that, that time with loved ones and that kind of thing. Um, I will say that our first Christmas in Delaware was awesome. It was so good, and um, we just we loved it so much. It was such a, a sweet time with, with our family. So um, I hope it was the same for you. And last week uh, was New Year, so Happy New Year to everybody. I hope the New Year has started off well, I hope it started off strong. Um, we're going to we're going to try to start it off strong as well here at Anchor. So uh, today we are starting a two-week series that uh, we're calling "Heart for the House." And last year, uh, if you were here, you you probably remember that that was the very first series we did when we got here was "Heart for the House." And what "Heart for the House" is is it's just like it's just. Basically, I'd say it like this. It's a window into the heart of God for Anchor Church. Um, in July, um, I took basically the whole month of July to just pray and seek the face of God for vision and direction for Anchor in 2023. And this is kind of kicking that off. This, this Heart for the House series is kind of kicking that off, that, that vision and direction. And so um, our Heart for the House uh, series, our emphasis for 2023 is going to be our mission, which is to know God and to make him known. Um, and I say emphasis, what I mean by that is everything we do and everything we do this year is going to be through the filter of knowing God and making him known. So um, that is going to be Everything we, we talk about, everything we, we do, say, you know, all of it, it's going to be through that lens of knowing God and making him known. And today, for our uh, first week of Heart for the House, I want to kind of dive into the first part of the mission, which is knowing God. What does it mean to know God? But before I dive into the scriptures, uh, I wanted to share with you, I wanted to let you in a little bit, know me a little bit better. Um, one of my favorite shows growing up was a show called Boy Meets World. And if you don't know what Boy Meets World was, um, Boy Meets World was a 90s sitcom. Um, I believe it was mostly on uh, the, in TGIF, if you remember that, the, the time slot on Fridays. Um, it was a, a 90s sitcom about a boy uh, navigating life as he grows up. And it was like really funny. It went off the air like 22 years ago, but it's still one of my favorite shows and I still watch it to this day. It's on Disney Channel. I stream it. <sighs> um, so anyways, Boy Meets World. The main character's name is Corey. And um, Corey and his girlfriend are the focal point of this show. And throughout the show, throughout the series, they make it a point to let the audience know that Corey and his girlfriend have been together a long time, basically their whole lives, and they know everything about each other, and that's like the language that they use a lot. Um, so, so it's pretty well known that, that Corey and his girlfriend are the, like, like they're the epitome of relationships, and they know each other so well. Well, there's one episode where Corey and his girlfriend play the newlywed game, and they play the, this newlywed game against Corey's brother Eric and Eric's female roommate. You tracking with me? Tracking? Okay. So Corey and his girlfriend are playing against 
Corey's brother and his female roommate, and they think, man, we're just going to smoke these guys because we've known them. We've, we've known each other our whole lives, and we know everything about each other, and they've only been roommates for a few months, you know, that kind of thing. Well, they play the game, and Corey and his girlfriend did not get one question about each other right in this newlywed game, and they found out that they didn't really know as much about each other as they thought they did, and they concluded to to get to know each other better, we have to become roommates. We, ha- we, we have to live together for a little bit. They understood that to know somebody, it takes time spent and proximity to. If you're going to know somebody, it takes time spent with that person and proximity with that person. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of family. Uh, and I would say there are a lot of people that know me really well, but nobody knows me better than that woman right there. And it's all about time spent and proximity. I've spent the most time with her. She, she's closest proximity to me. She knows everything about me. She knows what I love, and she knows what I don't like at all, and she knows my passions, and she knows my opinions about things. She knows all of it because she's spent the time with me, and she is in close proximity to me. And I would... I, I probably would feel confident in saying that I probably know her better than anybody else, too. Same reason, time spent, proximity, too. I'm pretty confident in saying that. So we're, we're, we live life together each day. We're not just roommates, right? We, we pursue each other, and that, and that helps me to know her, and it helps her to know me. If you've ever had a, a meaningful relationship, I'm willing to bet you know what I'm talking about. For some people, the, like... It's, it's a spouse. Your spouse knows you really well. For others, it's, it's your kids or, or it's like your really close friends. For some people, it's like coworkers. My coworkers know me so well. There are going to be a lot of people that have information about you, but not everybody knows you. There's going to be a lot of people you have, informa- you have information about, but you don't really, you probably don't really know them. Like, like you could, because it's all about time spent and proximity. So what about God? Do you spend enough of your personal time with him, and are you in close enough proximity to him that you would say you know him? Because I think, I think many of us, and I'm, I'm including myself, we're not as close as we think. What does it mean to know God? What does that mean? That's a really deep question if you think about it. What does it mean to know God? What does it look like to know him? What does that look like? How does it play out in our lives? Today, I want to look at the scriptures, and I want to, I want to look what, and, and see what the scriptures have to say about us knowing God and what it looks like. Um, so we're going to do that in just a moment. But first, would you pray with me this morning? Let's pray. God, thanks. Thank you for this day. This is the day, God, that you've made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. And we just, first of all, God, we invite you to be here with us. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. We, we say you can have your way. Um, I pray, God, that you would anoint the, the message today, that it would be your words and not mine. And, God, that you would speak to us in a way that we would clearly understand and we would clearly hear your voice. I don't want to leave here the same way I came in, God. I want to be changed by your love. I want to be changed by your truth. Change us from the inside out today, God. We love you. We give you praise.
In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, you can open it up or you can turn it on. If you have a digital Bible, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 21, Um, but before I read, um, I want to tell you what I tell you almost every week when I preach. Whenever I preach, I try to preach from a perspective of there and then. What does that mean? Uh, What that means is if we're going to understand how the Bible applies here and now to our lives, we have to understand what it meant there and then. To understand the words of the Bible, I believe we have to understand the world of the Bible. Context is really important. So we're in Matthew chapter 7, but in Matthew chapter 5, we see that Jesus begins preaching his very first sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount or Beatitudes. That's how it's known, either one. Um, And the Sermon on the Mount covers a multitude of subjects from prayer all the way to like money. He's covering the gamut, okay? He's talking about everything. And his audience... Jesus is talking to Jews who believe in and follow God. So that's, that's kind of the, the setup right there. And then in chapter 7, what we're going to dive into, he kind of he broaches like a subject that's a little bit different from what he's been talking about. So um, let's, let's check it out. It's Matthew chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 21. It says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. These are the words of Jesus himself. Jesus says these words himself, and he says, not everyone who recognizes who I am is going to make it into heaven. Not everyone who knows that I'm the Son of God is going to be in my kingdom. Only the people who actually do the will of God get to go to heaven, is what he says. And And these are jarring words probably for his audience, like totally jarring because for 1,500 years, Jews had been living under the delusion that simply because God chose them to be his children, that that was an automatic pass to heaven. So Jesus is flipping that idea on its head and he's saying, hey, just because you know who I am doesn't mean you get into heaven. Only the people who do the will of the Father are the ones who get into the kingdom. Now, Logically, my brain goes, okay, so what is the will of the Heavenly Father? If that's what gets me in, what is the will of the Heavenly Father, right? Let's keep reading. Verse 22, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Prophesying in God's name is an amazing, it's an amazing gift. It's an amazing um, responsibility. It carries with it a lot of weight. It's a good thing. Casting out demons, right? That's literally, literally engaging in spiritual warfare, right? The battle between good and evil, that's a good thing. Performing miracles in the name of Jesus, it points people to God and it fuels faith. That's a good thing. But Jesus says, none of that stuff matters if I don't know you. You can cast out as many demons as you want. It doesn't matter if I don't know you. You can say all the prophecies in the world. It doesn't matter if I don't have your heart. You can perform all all the miracles in the world. It doesn't matter if I don't know you. That's what Jesus is saying right now. Saying service to God doesn't matter if you don't know the one you're serving. That's jarring. 
Service to God doesn't matter if you don't know the one you're serving. Knowing God and allowing God to know you is the entire purpose of our existence. And if we miss that, we're missing the will of God. Knowing God and letting him and being known by him is the entire point of our existence. And if we miss that, we're missing the will of God. So Jesus is preaching this 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 sermon. It's his very first sermon. He's addressing all types of behaviors, right? Prayer, fasting, generosity, the law of God, anger, adultery, like all these things he's addressing. And then he like kind of takes a hard left, you know, right, I did right, hard right turn left to you guys. Um, and, And he dives into this. None of the work you do for the Lord matters if he doesn't know you. It's like, man, like, Again, this is revolutionary for God's people. They had probably never heard anything like this before, or at least not heard about it much. And unfortunately, this is still an issue for the body of Christ today. So, so many believers fall into the trap of of doing and trying to earn God's love and trying to earn God's favor and working their way into the kingdom of God. And they don't understand that's not the will of the Father. The will of the Father is that you know him intimately, that you're pursuing a personal relationship with him daily. That is the will of our Father. That is what he desires most. Now, I'm not saying don't do God's work. That's not what I'm saying, right? Like, we we can read in the book of James that faith without works is dead, right? We need to do the works of God because it shows that we have faith. But what I am saying is our priority is not the work. As children of God, it is our priority to pursue our Father's heart, to to chase after Him, to, to want to know Him more. So what does it mean to know God? What does it mean to know, to know God? What does it look like? I believe that there are two elements to, to this knowing God aspect. Two things that we can take and, and we can adopt and we can apply to our lives to begin to know God more. Here's the first thing. The first element to knowing God is this. Pursuing the heart of God. Pursuing the heart of God. Acts chapter 13 verse 22 says this, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. This is what delights our heavenly father's heart. This is what delights his heart. That we pursue him, not half-heartedly, not, not when it's convenient for us, but wholeheartedly every day that we're pursuing the heart of God. And, and not for what we can get out of him, but simply for the joy of having a deeper relationship with him. That is his desire for us. That's his heart's desire toward us, that we would pursue him more. The goal of a deeper relationship with the Lord is trust. The goal of a deeper relationship with the Lord is trust, that we learn to trust him more and more. That's his desire. I'm so fortunate that when I decided to follow Jesus, I had a mature Christ follower come alongside me and show me what it meant to follow Jesus. Um, Corey Demmel, that name doesn't mean anything to you, but Corey Demmel showed me what it meant to follow Jesus. It meant to pursue his heart and to know God. That was first and foremost the thing that I learned. It's not about a checklist. It's not about, uh, you know, doing, doing all the good spiritual acts, right? Like prayer, check, 
reading the word, check, like those things are good and I'm not putting those things down, but like God didn't give us a checklist so that we would have chores to do, right? He didn't give us this, he didn't give us these things to see if we'd obey him. He gave us prayer and he gave us like his word and he gave us worship and he gave us fellowship with each other to bring us closer to him. These spiritual disciplines are ways to help us pursue the heart of God. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into the spiritual disciplines today because in a couple of weeks we're going to start a new series on spiritual disciplines. But um, these disciplines, prayer, worship, studying scripture, fellowship, community, these aren't just checklists to do chores that God gave us just to give us. They're, they're things that allow us to actively and continually pursue his heart. These spiritual disciplines are a way of, of, of knowing God better. I began my walk with the Lord um, learning the discipline of prayer. Every day for an hour, I was made to pray. <laughs> um, I was a part of that Master's Commission program, and that was a part of the program. Every day I prayed for an hour. I'm very fortunate that I learned that discipline early. As a part of Master's Commission, I learned how to study the Word of God and memorize it. Not just read it, study it to understand it and memorize it. I'm so fortunate that I learned that discipline. In Master's Commission, I, was, I learned the, the, the discipline of, of worship, trying to be like Jesus, trying to live like him and trying to love like him. That's worship, right? Worship isn't a single act that we do at a church service when there's music playing. Worship is the way we live our lives, trying to be more like him. Worship is, or, or um, I get to, to know God when I live in community, and I learned that discipline at a young age in my, in my faith, living in community. Because living in community with each other, it's not just like beneficial for us. It, it helps us to understand aspects of God's heart that we wouldn't otherwise know. Because you reflect a part of God that I've never seen before. And I probably reflect a part of God that you've probably never seen before. And we need each other to get a more complete picture of our Heavenly Father. Again, these spiritual disciplines aren't just like to do checklist chores because God is a taskmaster and he wants to see if we'll obey him. They're things that draw us closer and closer to him and they're things that help us know him better. Really quick plug, if you're not in home group, if you're not in a home group, I want to encourage you, find a home group to get into because, again, like this, this community thing, it's not about just another checklist thing to do. It's about seeing the heart of God through other people. That's what this home group thing is about. And, and my desire for us as your pastor is, is for us as an entire body to live in true community together. It's in the processes of these, these spiritual disciplines that we pursue and touch the heart of God. It's in the process of learning how to travail in prayer that we, we touch the heart of God. It's in the process of learning how to wrestle with Scripture that we can touch the heart of God. It's in the process of, of true worship that we can touch the heart of God. It's in the process of going deeper in relationship with each other that we touch the heart of God. These, these aren't spiritual disciplines for spiritual discipline's sake. They're, they're attitudes, they're behaviors that move us closer to the heart of God. J.I. Packer, he's a, he's a well-known evangelical theologian and uh, an author. 
and he, uh, in, in 1973, he wrote a book called Knowing God. Uh, incredible book, really, really meaty. I highly recommend it, um, but incredible. But in that book, he said this, and I think it's, it sums up my point about this perfectly. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer said this, once you become aware that the main business you're here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Once you become aware that the main business you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Pursuing the heart of God puts everything else in perspective. Knowing your creator puts everything else into perspective. Problems don't seem as big when you start pursuing his heart. Stress doesn't seem as overwhelming when you start pursuing the heart of God. Failure does, doesn't feel as final when you are pursuing the heart of God. Why? Because you're living inside your created purpose and you feel alive more than you ever have when you're pursuing the heart of God. So that's the first element to knowing God. Pursuing the heart of God. Actively, continually pursuing his heart daily. The second element to knowing God is this, allowing God to pursue your heart. Allowing God to pursue your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He's pursuing us. He always has been. From page one of the Bible, he's been pursuing us. He created us to have relationship with us pursuit. And when Adam and Eve disobeyed and sin entered God's creation and, and, and God had to leave and, and we were separated, he's been pursuing us ever since, trying to find a way to restore us back to himself, pursuit. He's pursuing us. But I've said this before and I'll continue to say it, God is the perfect gentleman. He's the perfect gentleman and he will never take from you what you don't want to give him. He'll never make you do something you don't want to do. He pursues your heart every moment of every day without ceasing, but you have to let him have it. You have to let him in. You have to invite him in. You have to let him touch your heart. Um, many people deal with uh, emotional detachment. Um, and I think, I think a lot of people deal with emotional detachment detachment when it comes to the relationship with God too. Emotional detachment is this. Um, emotional detachment are, uh, is, is a condition in a person where they have a reduced ability to express emotion and form powerful emotional connections. And from what I've read, emotional detachment is a defense mechanism. For people who feel out of control in their life, the ability to emotionally detach from relationships, it's a way to control something. And, and people do this in re their relationship with God. It's, it's hard to let somebody go to that vulnerable place in your, in your heart, in your life, right? When you let somebody into the vulnerable place, they have all the ability to hurt you now. Say, I, we feel that way about God too. It's difficult to allow anybody to go there. And so what do we do? We emotionally distance ourselves so we can, can, we can uh, have some sort of control in that situation. 
Ultimately, that communicates a lack of trust. It communicates that we don't trust God with our heart when we won't let him in. And, and that's not God's desire for us. That's not his desire for you, that you would emotionally detach from him, that you would, you would have your church life over here and then the rest of your life over here. He wants to be a part of all of it. But you have to let him in. He is trustworthy. He's a safe place. He's a strong tower. And he's asking you to give him all access to your heart. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26 says this, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. This, this proverb is, is uh, King Solomon speaking from the vantage point of wisdom. And 1 Corinthians tells us that wisdom is just another name for Jesus. So ultimately, this is, this is Jesus pleading for our heart. He's pleading for your heart, but he'll never just take it. He's never going to take it from you. I have a couple observations about this verse that I want to make really quickly. First observation is this. There's a relationship there. The Lord says, my son, my son. He's addressing men and women everywhere, but, but this is in the sense of, of like that he's the creator of all, right? But there's a deeper sense that he, he wants your heart. He wants your heart because not, not just because you're his creation, but because you're his children. So there's a relationship there. Second, second observation, really quickly, there's a request. My son, give me, let me have, invite me in. The petitioner is God, and he's petitioning me for my heart. And, and that is just myself, my whole being. He wants every part of me. He doesn't want there to be any secrets. He doesn't want there to be any off-limits place. He wants every part of me. And the third observation, there's a request. Give me your heart. Give me your heart. We can read throughout Scripture that God doesn't want anything from us until he has our hearts, that no, nothing we give him is acceptable until he has our heart. We can read that in Scripture. No worship, no prayer you can pray, not one penny you give to him is acceptable to him until he has your heart. He doesn't want anything else. In Hosea, Hosea is an Old Testament book. Um, in, in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, God says this, Israel is, is in, they are in idolatry. They're, they're worshiping other gods, but they're still offering sacrifices to him. And he says this, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your burnt offerings. I want your heart. The things that we have to give God don't mean anything if he doesn't have our heart. He wants your heart. He's always pursuing your heart, but he's not just going to take it. You have to give it to him. You have to allow him in. And I'm talking to everybody in here. I'm talking to, I'm talking to my beautiful wife. I'm talking to the manliest man in here. He wants your heart. If you think you're a manly man, you probably are. He wants your heart. He wants to know you. He wants to know your deepest fears, your, your greatest desire. He wants to know that stuff. That he, that's all he cares about. He's after our heart. His love is relentlessly chasing after us. He's, he's constantly pursuing for us. He's he, he pursuing us. He's fighting for us even when we're far away from him. He's pursuing us. But he'll never take it. It's up to you to let him in. It's up to you to invite him. It's up to you to offer it. 
we have to allow God to pursue our hearts. So two elements of knowing God. Pursuing God's heart and allowing him to pursue your heart. That's it. That's what, that's what knowing God is. It, it, it's, it's pretty simple, but it's complex at the same time. It's, it's difficult at the same time. It's the whole point of our existence is to know God better and to allow him to know us, to be known by him. Worship team, you can come to the platform. The entire reason we were born was to know our creator, to have a relationship with him. There is no greater thing you can do with your life. Philippians chapter 3 verse 8 says this, Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Listen, everything else is worthless when compared to knowing Jesus. Everything. Everything is worthless when compared to knowing Jesus. He's after your heart, and he wants to give you his. What would life be like if we actually took this seriously and we actually started pursuing the heart of God continually every day? Now, I'm not talking about just spending all day like in a room by yourself praying. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like allowing him to be a part of your everyday life, allowing him to be with you at work, allowing him to be with you when you're driving in the car, allowing him to be with you at the dinner table, you know, that kind of thing, inviting him to be with you in your everyday life. What if we actually started doing that? What if we actually started pursuing the heart of God? I can't imagine how exciting life would be because we'd be living the purpose that we are created for every single day. Like J.I. Packer said, all of life's problems would fall into place when we realize our purpose to know God. All of life's problems fall into place when we realize our purpose to know God. What if you actually started allowing God to pursue your heart? What if? How would things be different for you what if you let God into that special place where nobody else goes, that where the, the real you lives? I think everything would change for you. I think everything would change for us. Everything would be different because this is what we're here for, to know God and be known by him. Let me pray for you this morning. God, I thank you. I thank you for this day. I thank you, God, that you are not a distant God. You are not an apathetic God. You love us. You want us. You pursue us. And your desire is that we pursue you and we know you. I just, I'm so grateful for that, God, that you are involved. You're involved in, in our lives. You're involved. You're interested in me. Thank you, God. I pray today for anybody who might be struggling in this area of, of knowing you more deeply. God, I pray that you would continue to draw us nearer to yourself. God, continue to teach us what it means to pursue your heart. Continue to, to help us develop those spiritual disciplines that I mentioned. God, help us to let you in more. 
teach us what it means to allow you to pursue our heart. We love you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Really quickly, if you're here this morning and um, you don't know Jesus, maybe, maybe you've been going to church for a really long time or you walked away for a while or whatever, but, but you would say like, Pastor Ryan, I don't, know, I don't know what this means. I've never known God or I, I stopped trying to know him or whatever. Well, th- today could be the day where you come back. Today could, could be the day where you come home to him and you become part of his kingdom. Again, you start living in the will of God to know him and be known by him. Today could be that day where it all changes for you. If that's you today, if you say, Pastor Ryan, I don't know Jesus, but I want to. I don't have a relationship with him, but I want to. At the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you. Um, and and we, can, we can get you started on that path to relationship with him. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to call anyone out or anything like that. And there's nothing magical about raising your hand. It's just I, helping me identify who I'm praying with. So with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, if that's you today, say, Pastor Ryan, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want one. At the count of three, I want to invite you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you. One, God loves you so, so much. Two, it's time for you to come home to him today. Three, if that's you, raise your hand right now so that I can pray with you. Raise it high so I know who I'm praying with. This is what I want to do right now. I want to lead us in a prayer. Whether you raised your hand or not, I want to invite you to repeat this prayer after me so that nobody feels uh, singled out or picked on or anything. And um, if if you're watching us online, I want to invite you to join with us. Pray this prayer. Repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, today I confess that I'm far from you. Today I admit that I don't know you but I want to. I want to be closer to you. I turn away from my sin and turn to you. I'm putting my trust in you. Teach me to know you better. Give me strength to allow you to know me. Thank you for your love and grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Can we give it up for those who prayed that prayer today? If you did pray that prayer, welcome to the family of God. The best decision you've ever made. I fully believe that. If you did pray that prayer, let us know. See Miss Teresa in the back. We got resources for you. Um, We don't want you to walk out of here without the support without the, the, the support of the community. And so uh, if you did pray that prayer for the first time today, uh, let us know so we, can, uh, so we can surround you. What we're going to do right now is we're going to just take a few moments and we're going to allow the worship team to lead us in a song. And we, I just want us to respond to the Spirit of God this morning. I want us to, to respond to the work that He's doing in our hearts. And so um, we're going to do, we're going to, um, participate in communion today, but we're going to do it after this moment. So just hang tight. Um, the worship team is going to lead us and, uh, and then we'll, 
we'll jump into communion. But stand with me if you would, please. 1 Corinthians 11 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after, saying, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Today we're going to observe communion, and communion is about remembering. He said it twice. Eat the bread in remembrance of me. Eat, when you eat the bread, remember what I did. Remember how my body was broken on your behalf. When you drink the cup, remember how my blood was spilled to make a new covenant between you and God. Remember. Remember. And then it says, let everyone who does this examine themselves first so they, they don't drink condemnation on themselves. They don't heap condemnation on themselves. So what I want to do right now is I want us to take just a moment to examine ourselves, where we're at with the Lord. If, if you need, if there's things in your life you need to repent of, now is the time to do it. A lot of people, a lot of people choose to, to not participate in communion because they say, man, I just, I just haven't been good lately, or I just haven't done the things, you know, that I need to do lately, so I'm not going to do this. This is the exact right time to do this because God instructs us to get ourselves right with him before we do it. So let's take a moment, let's examine ourselves, and let's, let's come back to the Lord. When he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together right now. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup right now together. Pursuing the heart of God and allowing him to pursue yours. That's our purpose as Christ followers. It's our mission here at Anchor. It's our emphasis for 2023, knowing God more. 
today I have a few next steps that I want to share with us. And these next steps are just uh, tangible things that we can do to, to take the message and apply it to our life this week. So just the, the first next step is this. This week I will memorize Jeremiah 29, 13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. That's God's promise to you. If you look for him with all of your heart, you will find him. This week, I will pursue God's heart by setting aside time for prayer, worship, and reading his word. Those spiritual disciplines I was talking about, it's, they're, they're not just chores to do. There are ways that we get to pursue and touch the heart of God. This week, I will allow God to pursue my heart and know me better. I want to challenge you. Let him into that place in your heart that nobody else really knows exists. Let him into that vulnerable place where, where you guard so tightly. He, he wants all of you. He wants all access. Let me say one last prayer and we can be dismissed. God, thank you. Thank you for this day. God, thank you that you desire us and you desire for us to know you and have your heart. I pray, God, that you would continue to draw us nearer to yourself and teach us what it means to know you better. We love you, God. And finally, may Christ make his home in your hearts as you learn to trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. May you have the power to understand how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is for you. And may you experience the love of Christ. Then you'll be made complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God. Amen. 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 <sighs> Thanks for being here, everybody. Thanks for worshiping with us. It's great to be back in person. We will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.